0: Terry Pratchett's Discworld, not to be confused with Ringworld, is a series of 41 novels written over 32 years. The books have sold more than 70 million copies and are beloved by nerds all over the world. Clearly, they're the sort of thing that's perfect for toasting the classics, but where to start? We love our listeners, but 41 novels for a one-hour show is right out. So, I brought in an expert who recommended we start with Guards, Guards, the eighth in the series. This volume is high fantasy, hard-boiled detective fiction, and buddy cop movie all rolled into one hilarious tale. It's a fun entryway to a series of books that could keep a reader busy for years. So pour yourself some Samuel Smith's Nut Brown Ale and imagine yourself in the smoky pubs of Ankh-Morpork. It's time for episode 26 of Toasting the Classics, Guards, Guards. Welcome to Toasting the Classics. I got another guest uh, guest spot this week from uh, Chris Gregg, an old friend of mine. How long have I known you? It's uh, or, or, or should we not? Or should we not admit it? No, it's, no, it's
1: okay. We can come clean.
0: It's it's been a long uh, time. Um, it's been a really long time. By my count, thirty-seven years.
1: Yeah, yeah, we're coming up on the big four 0s which,
0: which is really <laughs> crazy to say that out loud. It but, is. um So, uh, yeah, welcome to in the Classics, Dave MacArthur, Chris Gregg. This week, please forgive any. Um, problems with audio but i think it sounds pretty clear over zoom we haven't had too much trouble but you're in virginia i'm in new mexico so Mm -hmm. two thousand miles apart the wonders of technology are making this possible we this is a podcast where we take a classic and in this case read the classic i've had trouble with the verbs in the pro in the past but in this case we'll be reading the classic because it is a book and i let my guest chris uh choose it you have much better artwork on yours than i do i can already see that Well, this is
1: original original? paperback, I guess. Well, the paperback released in the U.S. This this came out in 1991, at least according to the cop uh, on this. But I think that's probably the paperback copyright date. I think it actually came out a little bit earlier. I think
0: that's right. I've got 89 for the publication (coughs) date of the book. That sounds right. Yeah. So I I can't really see for some reason your art when you show it to me is blurring, but. I'm saying it's better than mine because it couldn't be worse. I hate, (laughs) I hate the drawing on the cover of this book. Can you see this? A little bit of glare, but it's glaring. It's blurring. It's impossible, but it's drawn by somebody. Have you ever seen one of those memes that's about medieval paintings where they're (laughs) like, can can you draw me a horse? And the guy's like, "Uh, yeah, sure. And he's like, can you draw the horse facing towards, towards the viewer? And the guy's like, yeah. And then you see the painting and it just looks like someone who's never seen a horse. The proportions on these guys on the cover of this book—it's it's carrot and Vimes, and I don't know one of the other two guys with his back to us—and it looks like somebody's never seen a human be- a human form before. They're all is mis-shaping. it a thin person or a larger person? Uh, Vimes seems to be fatter than I would have thought he would be. Maybe that's oh, not I meant the, third Vimes. The-, oh, the third guy. Oh, the third guy's not fat, so it's not Cole. Is coal in the fat? Colon, one? yes. So it's got to be. It, is it, do you know? I read half the book as colon. Oh no! <laughs> because I, I don't I don't necessarily read out the names and how they sound in my head when I read. I got through all of Snow Crash reading it as hero oh, no. protagonist. I just read it as hero, the Japanese name hero. And and finally, when I said it out loud to somebody, I was like, "Oh, it's a joke." It's, okay, it's, now I get it. Yeah, uh, so, he has
1: entire novels that play with that. Um, f- probably most famously, uh, uh, Pyramids, where. Okay. Um, one of the city nations is spelled in a really weird way with a d-j-e-l-y-e-b-a-b-a but it's jelly baby ah okay and i actually just... so
0: i before we get any farther i definitely want to say we're reading guards guards yes by terry pratchett <laughs> i hadn't mentioned that um so is is pyramids is that one of the Discworld novels like this or is that
1: Yes, there are many Discworld novels, um, right? And they they tend to run into uh, different lanes. You know, like you have the witches ones, you have the the guards one. This is the first of those. Right. Uh, it started with uh, a, kind of this whole Rincewind thing, which is a, a is this wizard. A what? Rincewind is the name of a really terrible wizard. <clears throat> that the first okay. two books, uh, Life Fantastic and Color of Magic, are about. And actually, let me back up a little bit more meta, just about Pratchett himself. Okay. He's got a very distinctive writing style.
0: Okay. Okay. I'd probably put and so I am just Douglas Adams is all over this book to me, the yes. way he writes. So I yes. didn't really think it was all that distinctive although having done the episode about Hitchhikers and I think you probably listened to it as well. Definitely. Mm-hmm. One of my big issues reading it again is that's like so the 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 humor kind of falls flat after all these years when you read Hitchhikers again. You know, it's mm-hmm. like I've read it a bunch of times, but the the plot is really bad. Like the plot, it's there's like, nothing there. Just, yeah, just nothing there. This that's one of the big distinctions here is that this one's got a really a good plot. Like it's got a story and a finish, and everything happens through it. And there's characters. There's I a resolution. Like, I feel like I give a crap about the characters. It's just, anyway, but but yeah, the writing style. So okay, so you were saying distinctive.
1: Uh, distinctive um the annotations i want to back up and talk to you about later but uh okay. just on a big broad level um i'm not sure if you're familiar with the big read project that was done in britain that was just
0: um, i've seen lists of the big reads i think i think we talked about it actually because hitchhikers was on there yes um so i'm not familiar with it beyond that but i did read one of the lists one time i think early on we were trying to have some sort of imprimatur for things that were considered classics and so i was trying to back it up with some evidence we We've fallen away from that, and we're just like, whatever. If you think it's a classic, we're doing it as a classic. So (laughs) That's not a bad one. The only reason I bring it up
1: is he kind of cleaned up in that. It's not really... um, There's a lot of recency bias with that, because it took place, I think, in the early 2000s. So anything Mm. that was out and popular at that time did really well. You don't see P.G. Wodehouse on there, which I, I would definitely consider putting up there but he's got five in the top 100 and i think 15 in the top 200 which is
0: kind of crazy but yeah there was looking at the list and we talked about this before but looking at the list the recency bias was was pretty powerful there were more than one harry potter book in the top 20 and i was which is weird
1: because the number one is the lord of the rings not mm -hmm. the three different books of it but they put them all together because it was originally published that way which is i can see why you
0: might I could see why you might not want to do that with Discworld just because he was so prolific. Yeah. And there's so many different stories going on with. But you'd want to be like maybe you wouldn't want to have individual instances of the Ankh-Morpork City Guard. You'd maybe do all of those as one of the entries into the series or something. I don't know how they did it, but you wouldn't you wouldn't uh
1: Well, they were they were he alternated between books usually and and brought in other things. Uh, also, a very, very progressive writer. One of his early books was one called Equal Rights, uh, which okay. was R I T E S. It's about a female who wants to become a wizard, which is frowned upon and I her journey. And that brings it <clears throat> home. That's, that's another branch of his, the witches' stuff.
0: Right. I saw, uh, that. So, I saw that listed. Yeah.
1: So, yeah, uh, interesting uh, style of writing.
0: Uh, I saw some complaints um, that people made about this book being the first one that was sort of political. I, yes. I just I just read the book and I I didn't see any politics other than like political science in general, if you know what I mean. Like discussions of human nature and how a city functions and things. I didn't really see anything that was particularly pointedly on any part of the political spectrum as I see it, but I maybe I think you have to concerned.
1: think about class consciousness, which is a much bigger deal across the pond.
0: That's, that's actually true. That's totally true. Yeah, it definitely is a bigger deal over there thing and, and things like accents and stuff like that too. Mm-hmm. And so it can go right over your head if you're American. Yes. Many things can. Yeah. Well, yeah. Well, but I mean, I think that's actually, this is one of these things where I'm I'm glad it goes over my head. I'm glad I don't live in a society that's as class conscious as England. It's definitely something we got away from. And it's not like we don't have it here, but. It's it's becoming
1: increasingly stratified here, I would argue. But
0: yeah, yeah, it's not like built into our structure. It's stratified Uh, in terms of wealth, but we don't we just don't have the class markers the same way. I mean we do, but they're very subtle. They're they're very different. And they're not as powerful as they are in other countries. You know, you can you can have an accent from anywhere and still be the president and things like that. Like we've Mm -hmm. never really had, you know. In fact, I would say maybe a regional accent is almost like an advantage. So there's a whole bunch of Discworld books to choose from. Mm -hmm. What and this was your choice. Why did you go with this one?
1: I thought it was the most accessible of all the Discworld books. Okay. Uh, there are others that I think are better novels. Uh, I, I, like my personal favorite is Mort. I think that one is Mort. Uh, Mort yes. Okay. Uh, the brief premise of that is Death takes on an apprentice. Okay. Um, so, and there are running characters all through. Like I think, and I've, I haven't read every Discworld book. I kind of fell off later in life, sure. but uh, I believe at one point they all have Death in them which, you know, makes sense. And they also right. all uh, feature the librarian. Uh, oh, do they all on feature course. the librarian? I really like the librarian. He doesn't necessarily uh-huh. feature, well, feature may be the wrong word, but he appears in all. Sometimes he's just described as doing something off in the background in the middle of another book, but he's, he's there.
0: Well, because uh, he's got access to the Unseen University, he can sort of go between worlds and times and things, right? So that would yes. make it why he and obviously death would have that same ability. So that's sort well, of yeah, death is
1: everywhere. Yeah.
0: Yeah. <laughs> so they're sort of like the R2 D2 and C three PO of this world, you know, they're just in always sense, in yeah. everything.
1: Also the it changes dramatically as you go on too. So like early disc world books are very much high fantasy D D sort of things. There's there's a character called Cohen the Barbarian.
0: Yeah, I saw, just, I saw that you know, like in the like Wikipedia a, entry. That's a pretty funny name. Yeah, I like it was pretty great. It's a good.
1: His dentures are always falling out. And he's, but he still manages to, you know, do the Kohan, Conan thing and rescue mm-hmm. maidens and slay nice. evil druids and and the like. And it kind of gets away from the high fantasy more into uh, like trenchant commentary on social issues. So there's there's a there's a book called uh, "Monstrous Regiment" that gets I was published years and years and years ago, but it's Kind of about trans rights in a lot of ways, so huh? yeah, yeah. Okay, I can't really even <clears throat> say much about it without giving. It, it's kind of like his take on Mulan is the best way to put
0: it. His take on Mulan. Okay, all right. Yeah, I guess I could see where that sort of has a trans mm-hmm. dimension to it in a way. Although there's a million stories of like women <clears throat> fighting in armies and things like that. I don't really. Yeah, yeah. There's and the, uh, and the
1: the guards books actually get into that too because notably all of the guards in this book are humans. And that right. changes as it goes forward. It's, you know, well, no, not nominally humans, I guess we should maybe get into a summary of the book. So
0: people. Yeah, that's a really good idea. <laughs> and it's something that, that it's something that we're really clumsy about doing. Um, so I'll, I, I'll let you do it if you like. I could pretty much summarize it. I mean, it's not, uh, you know, just an outline, but I'll, let I'll you start out. More. I'll yeah. try and go quick. But um, so the interesting is kind
1: of kind of different. It starts with uh, quick pastiches of, of different viewpoints, I think. Maybe that's the wrong okay.
0: word. Um So it's a, it's a bunch of so a, a bunch of stuff stuck together. That's yeah, my, that's my idea it, of what Pestiche means. Yeah, sure. So
1: dragon and nowhere t- nowhere space is the
0: opener, mm-hmm. and then it
1: leads into Sam Vimes drunk in the gutter, and then it gets into the most inept possible Dark Brotherhood trying to summon.
0: Yes, that's North. pretty comical. Yeah, I like that.
1: And I, before we get too too much further. What did you think about the annotations? Because I mentioned them earlier, but I really want to get your opinion.
0: I mean, I didn't think it was like, um, uh, what's the author that infamously uses so many uh, annotations? You know who I'm talking about. Great, big, huge book that I've never actually read.
1: Oh, James Choice, Ulysses?
0: Uh-uh, no, 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 more modern. That's a guy from oh. guy was maybe even still writing today, 80s and 90s. Um, It's a it's a really famous author, and I didn't think this was not the the annotations didn't stand out to me as being like a huge part of what was going on. They're not. They they didn't. They didn't trouble me. They were just sort of like, okay, that's you know. They're almost
1: always like in depth jokes that he wants to be self referential, and I I find them very funny. Yeah,
0: yeah, (laughs) yeah. I like that. It it kind of so there's a way that he writes, and again, this goes back to it's a thing that Douglas Adams does, right? It's this way of creating these parenthetical expressions. And i don't know if they're particular to these guys or whether they're a certain era of british humor that just couldn't stop doing it but they they have these sentences like i wrote a couple of them down is they're pretty funny like it's it's a way of pausing in the middle of the sentence yeah okay so he says like um from the heart as brother watchtower says of being there's always these there's these parenthetical expressions set apart by comp by commas and that's that one doesn't read as well as the one that i thought really jumped at but they do it all the time, both of them. It's like sitting, as you say, in the mud, you know, like when, when Arthur Dent says that. So there's a, there's this parenthetical nature of things that I think is also part of having footnotes in your book.
1: So then we're introduced to Carrot, who is a notable character in all the, the guards books. He is a human raised by dwarves who is exiled from his clan when he gets too big and too interested in one
0: of his... uh right. It causes um, a bunch of problems with commun- with the dwarf community, but I don't know if he's supposed to be, like, having a relationship with the dwarf lady or what, or what was going on, but...
1: <laughs> I think it was considered inappropriate, yeah.
0: Yeah. Uh, but,
1: so, Carrot goes down to the big city, um, So and the shtick with him is he thinks he's a dwarf, but he's actually a human, and acts in a very dwarven manner, so lawful and very by the book. And he brings with him the big book of the ankh makr city rules, that he's given, and the inept individuals who are trying to summon a dragon have to gather a whole bunch of fairly crappy magical mm-hmm. items to do so, including you know rocks with holes in them.
0: Uh, they managed to summon a dragon. It's and... A lot of words like thirstable. Just trying to remember <laughs> what a thircible was. Some That's... kind of some kind of vessel, right? I, I I couldn't think of what the heck it is. It Seems like I think something they're actually all defined in one of those annotations. They, they, there you, is one. Yeah, there is one like that. Yeah.
1: Where they four pages before they run off all these
0: words that you'd have to go look up?
1: And then four mm-hmm. pages later, they define what they all are. Were they real few- words?
0: Yes. Yes. Okay. Because I, I wasn't clear on that. Because I remember there were a couple of times in this book where people said things. There was one word that somebody used. And I was like, oh, I know what that word means. I can't remember what, but there are definitely a few words that were real words. So I wasn't sure. If some of the other ones like Thurcibel sounds familiar to me, uh, by the way, the guy that does all the annotations, it's David Foster Wallace. That's what I'm thinking of. Infinite jest. Oh. Oh, okay. A little bit of a cultish uh, book that I probably should do on the podcast sometime. That'd be pretty interesting because I've never yeah. read it.
1: Yeah. I think that would be a good, one.
0: I can't find the annotations we're talking about, but yeah. um, Yeah. There's a bunch of, a bunch of strange words. That's one of the great things. Did you ever think like being into fantasy and playing D and D and stuff like that, did it give you your big vocabulary, or are you attracted to things like D and D and fantasy because you're the kind of person with a big vocabulary? Which is it—a chicken or an egg kind of thing?
1: Oh, it is hard to unseparate. But I mean, I was reading Lord of the Rings when I met you,
0: <laughs> so yeah, that was yeah. I was aware of the Hobbit when I was a re- really little kid, but I would not have been able to get through the Lord of the Rings. I just finished reading Fellowship to Alex, and I—I I was about five pages in. I was like. Dude, do you mind if we skip all the Hobbit stuff? And he was like, "Please, please, <laughs> skip all the Hobbit stuff." Like, <laughs> so, I'll go back and read it later, but I, let's just get to the story, you know? Because there was an awful lot of Hobbit stuff.
1: So, when I was a little kid, my dad read Lord of the Rings to me when I was seven, and he had this <clears> great <throat> trick with that, where he would read Sam Ganji as though he was a total dunce, and it made the things a lot funnier.
0: Um, yeah, yeah. but well, once everybody's would... talking, it's a pretty good. It's a pretty good story. It's a. It's um. I well, definitely ask the Tom Bombadil stuff and you
1: actually get to Brie and See, Alex
0: loved exactly. Tom Bombadil. He was so really? bummed when we watched the movie. Anyway, we're starting. This is turning into a Lord well, of the Rings podcast, which I'm sure exists. But, uh, already. It, so-, so, so you got to the incompetent group of uh, sort of like the, the black order that's, that's trying to summon the dragon. For their own nefarious oh. purposes. And, right. And the book well, not for, not, the, not for their own nefarious purposes, just for the right, one the, guy's the, nefarious purposes. The cult purposes. leader's
1: nefarious purposes, sure. Right. Um, and it kind of proceeds from there, the various escalating appearances of the dragon. The watch gets involved and starts mm-hmm. gathering evidence. Uh, the leader of the city is a guy named the Patrician, who is uh-huh. a very interesting character in and of himself. Yeah, uh, I like him. So the first two books for Pratchett uh, do have some live-action series that were made i think there were two episodes each i could really? be
0: really right. like, like yeah. live filmed oh I, I thought they did like live a bbc filmed. radio type thing i didn't realize they did like an actual
1: weirdly film. curving back into lord of the rings <clears throat> sean Austin is one of the leads in it uh, uh, yes and Jeremy irons plays the patrician so that's always who i think of because it's he's got the dry wit and everything else going down and oh and christopher
0: lee does the voice for death which is perfect um, that's good yeah i like that I can't think of who I was picturing for the patrician, but I had somebody in mind. Yeah. There, oh, um, the villain from How to Train Your Dragon 3, which is a really which is a really good villain, actually. He looks really cool. He's got this great way of talking. That's who I pictured for the patrician. I can so, see that. Not a similar character, but for some reason, like uh <laughs> he's got the look. <laughs> for some reason he had the right look for me. So um, should we start a drink?
1: uh yeah yeah i've got one right here
0: okay so this was your choice as well um,
1: I, I, that's how it's supposed to work right yeah yeah, yeah shark the provider okay. the,
0: the the choosy uh, who foists things upon the other foist door the foist door chooses both book and and drink so that's you you're the foist door in this case but the only power i have here is to choose whether it's a classic so oh, right. um
1: so yes we have samuel smith's uh nut brown
0: ale and you're out of a can, huh? I I am. Interesting. All right. So, what is the reasoning behind this choice?
1: I wanted something British.
0: <laughs> okay. <laughs> this,
1: this kind of fits the bill. Uh, it is a very tasty, very drinkable beer. Um, mm-hmm. Have you, wait, did you take your sip? Yet? Did I miss it? I did. I, I, oh, did okay. it, yes.
0: I didn't. I didn't do it really with a lot of demonstration though. But here here we go. <laughs> right. So, you're out of the bottle. Yeah, I want the cane. I can taste that Yorkshire lime water. <laughs> so, you read the side of the bottle, I take I, I did not, but I read the Wikipedia article. Um, oh, okay. But yeah, okay. They, but yeah, there it is. So, it's, yeah, they a, it, yeah it says the same thing on here. Okay. Yeah, the original well sunk in 1758 is still in use. That's impressive. Yeah, that's <laughs> impressive.
1: But uh, yeah, water in beer is a big deal, um, especially when you start talking about uh, things like Pilsner's. Pilsner or Kel, famously
0: a very soft water. What's, uh, what's this one? This is a brown ale? Is that the species of beer that we're dealing with?
1: Yes, it is a
0: brown ale. So, How would you define brown ale? Weird. It's Samuel Smith has the richest, maltiest, and nuttiest of the brown ales. Michael Jackson. That's the quote on the bottle. Apparently, Michael Jackson... Is the authority on this type of beer? I that strikes me as being a very strange person to quote. I mean, you cannot go around in life with the name Michael Jackson. For instance, our property manager's name is Michael Jackson, but he's a Michael Jackson II. He knows. He knows you can't just answer the phone and be like, hi, this is Michael Jackson. <laughs> you know, like that's, but I don't know. Maybe in England. Maybe in England they don't know who Michael Jackson is. So I did so, a
1: little bit of research on that, knowing you would answer the ask the question. Uh it a is Brown is Hill. A... okay. <clears throat> it's a lightly hopped brown ale that became very popular in, in England in the turn of the century. And now it, it doesn't really have that much of a distinct classification, as I understand it, they, you have the British brown ales, you've got, you know, Sierra, Sierra Nevada does a brown ale, there's one in uh, out, of, out of Maine. I had a very good one, actually, in uh, Myrtle Beach, there was a place down there that had a, a very tasty one uh new south brewing i think that wasn't a bottle or that wasn't a can which is actually why i got a can for this because i wanted to compare like like
0: here's a general beer making question I, you know i don't really i'm not uh i'm not as versed on beer as i am on some other things what what gives a beer its color does beer naturally have a color it does right because you because when you have the what's the what's the term for the for the sort of goop that's going to turn into beer and then fermented like is that, is that the wort Yes, the wort that's what yes. I was thinking of. So that would have a particular color, and that probably just is imparted to the beer. It's not like, Clinton and I have had a couple of discussions of when you start out with like a neutral spirit, basically it's always clear to start with, and then whatever mm-hmm. whatever color you associate with it is something imparted by the barrel or by something you put into it or something like that. I don't think it works the same way with beer.
1: I assume that it is the the yeast and the, uh, the hops that give it the color, but I honestly don't know. I'm not gonna... out not a bachelor mm-hmm. or
0: anything. No, I don't really know that. Yeah, that's interesting. Well, anyway, it's a tasty beer. I like it. <laughs> it maybe I like a brown a brown ales. I don't know. Yeah, it's got some flavor to it. It's, uh, it's got that like a nice mouthfeel to
1: it. I don't know how to describe that.
0: It's nutty. I think that's probably the number one thing that jumps out at me about the taste of this. But there's nothing wrong with that. That's good. I mean, am trying not God, to give it. any tasting notes because I know that's not a thing that we do. Oh, right, right, right. If yeah, if you tell me. That, oh, I'm sorry. Did I just did I just like skew my right. opinion of what? It uh, I think it has like.
1: nut in the name of the beer, so you can yeah, you can.
0: It does nut brown ale. There it is. Yeah, you're right. Samuel Smith's nut brown ale. What is it with guys named Sam? Like, there's Samuel Smith, Sam Adams, and then this mm-hmm. book was talking about. You can always trust a guy named Sam. Yes. <laughs> now, have you found that to be the case? We have a buddy named no. Sam. <laughs> <laughs> did I get to too fast? <laughs> <I'm> sorry. <laughs> sorry, Sam. Sorry to take a dig at you, man. Let's get back to the book. So, do, so did we get through? We got to. Um, the we got to the part where stuff
1: starts to go wrong.
0: They're trying to summon a dragon, <laughs> and uh, essentially, they end up doing it.
1: <clears throat> yes. The dragon
0: keeps popping up around town, and because the city watch are out actually investigating crimes for the first time in their career because of the addition of carrot, a sort of you know lawful good. guy on the city watch prods them into actually taking action it prods them into getting involved in these dragon slayings or sorry dragon slaying is the wrong term to use slayings committed by a dragon they are homicides yes homicides by dragons right although really that's you know that's that's in the nature of a dragon as 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 uh the lady says at the end of the book so get me to you know i'm having trouble with the middle of of the plot and sort of trying to i'm trying to string it together so it ends up you, you,
1: you brought up the lady so let's 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 dig in there. Who who is right. the lady? What's what's she all about?
0: The lady is a trainer of dragons, essentially. Mm-hmm. She's but but she only has these little tiny swamp dragons, so she has very little experience with noble dragons of the kind uh, who has a name, Lady big, Sybil Ramkin. Lady Sybil Ramkin, but the dragon itself has a name also, and I can't I I lost it, but it's somewhere at the end of the book they mentioned what the dragon's title was. But anyway, it's a noble ancient dragon. It's a huge one. I'm trying to break out of the mold of thinking of it as a chromatic dragon, but it is a chromatic dragon. Essentially. It's got a breath weapon. It's evil. You know, Um, Uh, I think I just said nobilis
1: is this. It's just like the generic taxidermic name for it. There's a,
0: yeah. So she's training these little swamp dragons and uh, essentially our main character who, by the way, I was kind of surprised when he turned out to be the main character.
1: Like you thought it was going to be
0: carrot, right? I thought it was going to be carrot. And I was pleasantly surprised that we went with Vimes because he was a much more interesting character. He's almost like your hard-boiled detective, yes. On like a on like a city watch, you know. It's a very, very noir
1: setup. Yeah, yeah, exactly. You know, he's
0: like a uh, Philip is, it, is Philip Marlowe the character or the author? Philip Marlowe is the character, and Raymond Chandler is the author. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so he's like a Philip Marlowe type of character. He's kind of like drinks too much, and uh, you know, sort of jaded about his job. But that kind of he's a little dynamic within the, within the story. I think he's a much better protagonist than Carrot. I was very happy around page 75 when i realized he was the main character i was like yeah, okay that can, it's not i'm enjoying this more
1: paper thin other guy well that mm-hmm. that leads into uh, another uh one of those fun things that pratchett likes to do is subversion subversion of expectations he'll no, set you up with one thing and then he's busily in the background setting up the groundwork so it doesn't come as a Deus ex machina but right it'll solve itself in another way that's pleasantly unexpected
0: so the big subversion of genre comes about in what I guess you'd call, like, the the, um, climactic part of the book, I thought. So, like, you get to, you know, there's this sort of slow investigation of the dragon situation, and then it turns out that the guy, we kind of have been seeing this all along, but the guy who's manipulating the wizards is, his whole plan is to bring in, like, a fake king Mm -hmm. um, to defeat the dragon, because they can just de-summon the dragon, essentially. Right make the dragon um, go poof he goes yes. through with that plan and then uh and it works he, and it and it works right he desummons the dragon and everybody's like great and then his guy becomes king i guess his plan is to be sort of the power behind the throne right unfortunately what happens is the dragon decides it really liked being there and <laughs> yes. figures out a way now was there some something specific i missed about how it figures out how to come back to this particular uh world of the disc world I or... think it's baked
1: in because uh, I guess we need to back up a little bit. The The way the dragon is being summoned is they have a book uh, right. from someone who did it before. And you find out at the end that the the book had kind of toasted off the last bit. And, okay. uh, you know, the dire warnings from the person who wrote it saying, never try this. So it, I, I think you're supposed to just infer that once you summon a dragon of times, it's going to figure out how to get there on its own. And Okay. The power dynamic shifts. And-
0: I mean, that makes sense. That's sort of a that's sort of a trope of summoning things. You don't when you summon a devil to do your work, it's probably going to end up taking over and killing you and everything too. So I mean, it's, it's it wouldn't be any fun to have a character summoning powerful beings if the powerful beings stayed within their control. Yeah. So essentially, yeah. So the dragon comes back and just takes over in its own right. Yes. And becomes the king, demands the sacrifice of virgins and things like that. And um,
1: which leads us back to Lady Sybil, who is the love interest for our main protagonist, who's highborn,
0: gentle love interest. Though it's kind of not there; it doesn't really. It's a it's a it's a subtextual, yeah. like, relationship between them. It, you're sort of yeah. thinking that's <laughs> where it's going, but you don't really. There's not a lot of payoff. It's very PG, I would say. The the whole yes, book yes, PG, yeah, Pratchett in that's general.
1: Um, so you don't really get into a lot of that. You know, you a lot of the you. The love scenes all happen off screen with him. It's just not, not a thing he does. Right. Um, so uh, Bimes decides to go rescue at, 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 after going through his whole, you know, generic eighties cop getting kicked off the force. and.
0: Right. Right. I didn't even really process it that way, but that's absolutely what it is. I need your gun and your badge, you know? Yes. Yeah. There's a, there's a scene like that. He's convinced the dragon's back mm-hmm. when he's at the banquet and basically like, you know says oh my god there's a dragon but it's just like a flight of ravens for some reason (laughs) it reminded me of that scene in jaws i think it's actually jaws 2 where he freaks out and like point like gets everybody off the beach but it's just like some fish swimming by i was was picturing that for some reason (laughs) yeah it's it's there's a lot of subtle film references in this like all through this book a lot of there's casablanca there's um i mean it's just a ton they're just all through it like even like quotes he gets the dragon he wants the dragon to find the other dragon
1: and uh, this is the swamp
0: dragon the little it's the little swamp dragon errol uh which i guess is a reference to swashbuckling movies which are sort of what they're always talking about with the guards guards thing but he says to catch a thief and there's like a whole annotation about like the phrase to catch a thief. And I was like, I just looked that up like three episodes ago because I was trying to figure out where that came from. And it was like, that's amazing. Just a, just a pretty strange coincidence. This stuff. I mean, there's a whole quote about Beowulf, you know, where, where they're talking about when the heroes are talking about monster slaying. And they're like, yeah, there was this guy and he killed this monster and put its arm over the door. And then its mother showed up and tried to kill him. And I was like, <laughs> yes. I might have I might have missed that reference. like six I think I, ago I read before. this.
1: After re- list- listening to your Beowulf recap, so it was fresh in my mind. It's too. fresh in my
0: mind. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I, might, I'm, I, I think I knew that <clears throat> reference, but I think I might have missed it otherwise. Just the concept of having a king who shows up out of nowhere, who's like a common man who carries a sword and stuff like that. Um, mm-hmm. It's got to be a reference to Aragorn, right? Yes. I mean, and, and a million other things probably, but most prominently in my mind, Aragorn, like the ranger who's actually the king. I'm sure that's common in other things, but
1: I guess we should also mention that Karen is very clearly Aragorn in this, you know, he's got the the crown birthmark. He's got the hand-me-down mm-hmm. sword. And, you know, like your expectation is he'll be the guy that winds up being the king at the end.
0: Right. But that's yeah. not what happens. <laughs> they to- they totally leave that. I would say almost a subtext, right? Very much so, yeah. Because at the end, the patrician is like looking at him. He's like, "Uh, can I see that sword for a second? And he's like, <laughs> like "Oh yeah, here, here you go. Take that back," because he really doesn't want Aragorn showing up and becoming. <laughs> yeah, you know, he's like the Denethor. You know, he really does not want Aragorn showing up and taking over Minas Tirith here. Mm-hmm. So, um, well,
1: can we talk for a minute about how the patrician reacts to the dragon taking over the kingdom?
0: Sure. Yeah, it's a f- well let, then let me let me finish what happens let's do let's do Oh yeah, go ahead, go ahead. Let's just let's just be like let's just be like David Foster Wallace and live through annotations and paratheticals. So go go ahead. It's just a very patrician move. He
1: he has had a dungeon for himself constructed with the okay. hinges and the lock on the inside. So he locks himself in his own dungeon and has somehow trained the rats to like uh defeat the scorpions and the snakes and bring him food and stuff so he can wait it all out
0: yeah all the creatures in the dungeon have been affected by the presence of the library and the magic of the library so they've been mm-hmm. sort of turned into semi-intelligent creatures it's yes. like i think the, the behind the scenes version of that but i didn't so run me through this whole door thing oh. the, the, the thing with the door i was like so he's in a cell and the door and the lock the locks outside but, but
1: the, the hinges, hinges are all the on the inside and they, there's also a lock on the inside so he, okay. you can get thrown in and locked in but you can also bar it from the inside i believe and the hinges are on the inside so there's not really a way
0: for people like the people outside to get yeah, in. yeah okay so but he's I mean, kind of but, he, <laughs> but he's not in control he can't like get out i think it is doesn't he just walk out at the end of the book? He does there's a secret passage yeah, okay. that he doesn't always oh, tell Vimes passage. about because
1: it looks like he's having so much fun doing his productive thing Chipping chipping the, to... chipping
0: the wall away and then the uh, yeah. then the um, have we talked about the librarian and like what the librarian is because it's a really fun character. So when um, when Vimes gets thrown into the dungeon and meets the patrician down there, he's in this dungeon and he decides to try and pick his way out but the librarian, who's a character who's been sort of floating along in the back of the book the whole time, who is a, I, I'm guessing a wizard who was changed into, was polymorphed into an orangutan at some point in the past. And in the first book. Okay. Okay. Well, okay. So no that actually happened. I think the first chapter of the book. Okay. Okay. I was wondering if that actually <laughs> happened uh, in one of the books. Do you know? So the first book is Color of Magic, right?
1: Uh,
0: I think it's Discord Color of Magic,
1: book? then Light Fantastic. Yeah.
0: Okay. I think. Um, they almost named Element 117, apparently, after whatever the color is octarine or something like that
1: Uh, uh, yeah octarine
0: octarine yeah they almost named it that like in honor of terry pratchett i don't know how close the uh international atomic scientist union got to doing that but apparently there was some kind of a campaign but anyway so the librarian is a wizard who's been polymorphed into an orangutan and just decided to stay that way right and just is an orangutan so there's a couple of really funny like um Charade sequences where he's trying to tell him what the name of the book is and stuff like that. That was pretty fun because yes, the <laughs> First word say. sounds like. <laughs> so, is the Irregular saying "book" when he says "ook"? Or
1: no, that's book just how he says just... everything. Okay, and, that's I...
0: And then certain I'm... people
1: have been around him long enough to be able to translate that. So Rincewind, for example, can understand him. Yeah, he's he's a different. What's the name of
0: the? What's the woman's name again? Lady Sybil Ramkin. Sybil Ramkin, right? When she gets taken to be the sacrifice to the dragon vimes decides to go and rescue her but fortunately for him the other guys also decide to try and attack the dragon which i think is one of that's what i was talking about about the best subversion of the genre the whole conversation about the million and one (laughs) shot like it needs they're like they're like you know we need this last million one shot to shoot the dragon right in its vulnerable spot um and and bring it down and then they're like well wait a minute is it really a million to one because it's only going to work if it's a million to one it won't right, work because a one to chances one. come on oh, nine, nine times nine, out of ten yeah yeah exactly <laughs> it was it's really it's it reminds me of the way that people actually talk about probability and statistics in real life yes. that's yeah. how dumb it is like the way especially guys... around elections oh my god but, but yes, so exactly, so Sean. eventually
1: they they get to the point where they have him you know, they figure it's too easy a shot. So they've got to make yeah. it harder. You
0: know, they've got to right. put
1: him on one leg and you know he's, singing he's...
0: a singing a song and <laughs> yeah, that's pretty good. Cause he, he takes a he takes a practice shot that goes disastrously wrong. And, yes. and the one guy the one guy's like, just in the unlikely event that you miss the shot, I'm not saying that's gonna happen. I'm not saying that would ever happen. But If you do, <laughs> that part was pretty funny. I, I, we have a backup plan, right? Yeah, yeah. Maybe we could jump into that lake. You know, there's uh, afterwards. So that that part's pretty funny, and it totally subverts the genre because, like, of course, they just screw it up. Yes, <laughs> and, then, and they're and they're trying to they're trying to set the odds to exactly one, a million and one, and then he he has a good joke about like how the odds of surviving the dragon burning down the building were exactly one a million to one. It's yeah. it, that that part's really well done. It's and it's just yeah. subverting, you know, it's not even just Bard shooting the dragon at the end of the Hobbit. It's also like Luke Skywalker blowing up the Death Star. And he the, does have his lucky. Literally too, the, right? the, just Han, like Bard. <laughs> yeah. You know, Han Solo is like calls it like a million to one shot. And then somehow that gets turned into Han Solo's thing, the odds. Like an Empire Strikes Back. Like, where did that yeah. come from? He tells yeah. Luke the odds. Hey, what are you doing? You're not supposed to tell people the odds anyway. Never really, <laughs> um, but yeah. So that's essentially the climactic part of the book, um, where they fight the dragon, and it took me—I had to pause and try to understand what the heck happened because with, the little dragon challenges yeah. challenges the big dragon to a fight, and it, suddenly develops a superpower.
1: Rereading I like, it, I I thought that took a little too long to develop. So, Errol is the little dragon. That Lady Sybil Ramkin gives to the watch.
0: And he's like a little pet, like a swamp dragon, but he's like a pet that they sort of have around them.
1: Through about five or six scenes throughout the book, he's just eating all kinds of insanely combustible stuff.
0: Right. And his
1: insides rearrange and he manages to become essentially like a jet-powered dragon.
0: <laughs> okay. Okay. It's weird. Yeah. I got that sort of, I had to pause and think about it a lot. And I was like, I did that. I kind of gathered that. And then I sort of read the Wikipedia article about the book and I was like, okay, so that's what's happening. So he developed like, you know, jet fighter powers. So they have an opportunity to kill the dragon because essentially Errol knocks the big dragon out. Mm -hmm. And instead, and again, I think it's like subverting the genre and everything that happens, like Carrot, because he's this lawful good character decides to arrest the dragon and every, yes. there's a mob around him trying to kill the dragon. He's trying to stop them from killing the dragon. Yeah, I, I guess we. I guess the assumption on this show is that people have either read it and know what what happens in terms of spoilers, or don't care. So or we're they're just going for the ride. Yeah, let's yeah. Go. Or they're go just going for the ride. So essentially, <laughs> what ends up happening is it turns out all this whole fight between the two dragons was a mating ritual. Yes, and the big dragon is a female, and the little one's a male, and they go off together. I and the, the, the coda of the book essentially says that they're sort of existing out in space around the disc world somewhere it sounded like it's uh, like, happily ever after yeah i don't yeah, i don't think I... they
1: ever show up again um, okay
0: okay so
1: and then we have the big climactic reveal with who the
0: supreme leader of the cult is right which is what was his position he's like the secretary for the patrician
1: yeah. Yeah. Like the ch- under chief secretary or something. Essentially yeah, something the number like two that. guy without
0: any power. Yeah. yeah, They're they're all sort of like Peter Baelish or like or like the uh, what's the eunuch's name in Game of Thrones? There's a lot of characters like that in this book. Lord um, Varys. Yes. Lord Varys. Yeah, exactly. There's sort of there's a little bit of that going on. We talked about the title of this book. Um, And I guess I'm going to go ahead and spoil my biggest surprise of the book because I mean, I knew nothing about this book. So it was all surprises. So (laughs) yeah, just I'll get that out of the way right here. I had really very little in the way of presuppositions going into the book. But the title of the book, when you said, Oh, we're going to read this book guards guards. I thought it was guards, apostrophe guards, like people who are guarding the guards. And I saw the book when I when I actually got it from the library and saw the exclamation points. So I was like, "Oh, that's completely different than what I thought." A couple of things to say about that. Did you catch the the, the Latin reference at the end? Oh, wow! Like, uh-huh. Were the mobs all standing around trying to kill the dragon? And and one of the one of the people in the mob is like quis custodiet custard. Oh yes, yes. Who watches? And the watchman? Yeah. so I was like I was like <laughs> who watches like, the custard? I, I was like doesn't that mean who watches? It? So I looked at yeah it's a yeah it's a Latin quis custodiet ipsos custodes, which essentially would be what I thought the title of the book was about, which is who watches the watchmen or who guards the guards. I thought uh-huh. that was what. So I wasn't entirely wrong. But that's going on in the book, I guess. Why did he choose this title?
1: Oh, uh, it's
0: in the dedication. I, I know but it it doesn't really seem to have much to do with the plot of the book there's not a whole lot there's there's the one bit where well,
1: the, the, when they attempt to arrest it, I, right i guess we're finishing up somewhere but remember when they attempt to arrest the uh lupin wants the, the yeah ringleader and uh, vimes is there and the guards come in and he's like arrest this man and they're all looking at each other like um I don't know. That usually yeah. goes pretty badly for the guards. Yeah, there's just, there's
0: just one of him and he's unarmed. So he's probably going to jump up in the air and grab a sword and swing on a chandelier and cut our heads off. You know? He looks
1: very confident.
0: I don't know about that. Yeah. yeah. So that's like I think that's like the Errol Flynn kind of reference. But that's really yeah. the only in terms of the title of the book. I think that's really the only part where it gets expressly into the body of the text. It's in it's in that, like you said, in that, in that opening epithet. Yeah. He mentions it, but.
1: And it is about the guards themselves. He, he does yell guards, guards at one point. So, yeah. he, you know, you've got the the title callback. Right. Uh, and then at the very end, they, they figure out who he is. And of course, Carrot wants to arrest him. And uh, Vimes tells him to throw the book at him.
0: Yeah. 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 Have we mentioned the literal mindedness of dwarves yet? Because that's oh, a running yeah. theme. There's an yeah, awful lot of humor that comes, or an awful lot of uh, jokes that come from. The dwarf just totally misunderstanding all attempts of humor, so that at the very <laughs> end of the book, Vimes forgets and tells him to throw the book at him. So he throws a great big heavy tome at the, the, laws the, of- yeah, <laughs> yeah. the laws of Ankh Morpork. Yeah, like the laws of Ankh Morpork. Right. But by the way, okay. So you mentioned that there was something else where there was a joke in one of these crazy words that he used. Is there a joke in Ankh Morpork?
1: I don't think so.
0: I'm not catching. <laughs> at least one. not I mean, that more I'm aware more- of. More pork. I don't know. I I, I kept thinking because it, it's such a terrible name. It's it, really like, awful. It's yeah. a really clunky name for the city. Um, I guess it's kind of a, the city's kind of a Budapest thing. Like it's sort of, there's, there's an Ankh and there's a more pork and they're kind of put together. Yeah. You know, like sort of. So what, what was your surprise? Oh gosh. I
1: It's been probably <clears throat> 25 years since I've read this book. So coming back to it, it was a strange experience because I would remember pieces of the book And then I kind of got toward the end of it and I thought maybe it was a different book. And then those would show up, but just how much fun it was to reread them. I I think was the, the big takeaway. It's not like a Douglas Adams book where the entire set piece is designed to make specific jokes or the jokes are so clear that it's hard to go back and revisit it. This is like, yeah. Coming back to an old friend and, and catching up and, you know immersing yourself in it
0: i felt like this this book had more like interpretive value than douglas adams you know Mm -hmm. like i feel like i feel like it would stand up to repeat readings because you don't really catch everything that's going on in the first read you know there's there's layers to it so i feel like that rewards a reread in a Mm -hmm. way that um you know i always loved hitchhikers but when we read it again for the show like i didn't have a great time reading it maybe yeah. i'm just maybe it's just getting colored by the fact that clint voted against it as a classic but i mean i probably still would have voted for it as a classic honestly but i, I um, think the
1: best way to consume <laughs> hitchhikers is the radio plays
0: i've heard that well because because voice and stuff would help you so much with the humor still yeah and the, the cheesy sound yeah.
1: effects that they do it, it all ties in well together
0: they mentioned the the lighted letters overhead what is that that's a Discworld thing right and i didn't understand what they were talking about with that
1: lighted letters overhead I'm they're
0: talking about at a couple of times in the book they're talking about looking up and seeing like neon letters or something and i was like oh
1: i think that that was one of the magic things that they stole was uh brother fingers stealing one of the signs from a bar just the oh. neon signs that are powered oh that's by way magic. more
0: way more literal than i thought it was okay yeah. all right so that yeah. has nothing to do with i don't um, think
1: that like most Discworld <laughs> books start with a description of the Discworld itself which is patently ridiculous and immensely fun right it's you know the
0: it's a large turtle in space that's swimming. Well, it's sort of a it's sort of a joke on like hindu cosmology i think it is It has all the turtles and, and kind elephants. of
1: a mix of a, a several
0: different things I yeah think. it's got to be it's got to be a mix of different things but you sense. know
1: giant turtle swimming through space supported like with four elephants walking around on its back supporting the disc world itself you know magic is is a living thing on this world and light travels at the speed of syrup because magic slows it down and it, it's it's all very prosaic. yeah yeah
0: they said something about how light behaves strangely in the presence of magic yeah th- mm-hmm. i think there's there's a bit at the end where i was like oh i kind of wish this had been in the beginning but it's kind of fun i i've said this before with different things you've read i kind of like not knowing what's going on and being forced to dive right into something and just and just be confused that's kind of fun to me like what yeah. what what's happening it keeps my mind engaged where <laughs> i sometimes otherwise would uh would wander off so you said you read these what when you were like a kid like when they were first out oh yeah
1: yeah uh probably the uh science fiction book of a month club when you would uh sign huh. up and just get paperbacks once a month and yeah the anytime a pratchett book came out this was definitely on the list
0: okay <laughs> i said he wrote like two a year for most that, of the series that
1: would, he was <laughs> remarkably prolific yeah that yeah, would not surprise me
0: i guess that could be done i mean it's only what this is two i had 288 pages I feel like if that's what you did as a full time job, you could write two books a year like this. They're, you know, it's mostly about his voice in a lot of ways. So once mm-hmm. you found that voice, it's probably not that difficult. Yeah, to keep going yeah. with it once once you're the guy that does it.
1: And another friend of ours uh, was also reading them, and that's one of the one of the reasons we became good friends. Uh, but he stopped reading for a while because he thought that Pratchett got a little too formulaic, which I can understand. Yes. Huh. Yeah, Once you I read enough of them, you, there is uh, a certain sort of formula that uh, that gets in there. Um, yeah,
0: I mean, that may, that that would be part of being prolific, right? I mean, you, you have a voice and that's fine, but you probably have trouble coming up with super original stuff all the time and you sort of follow yeah. a pattern. Um, uh,
1: have you seen the Good Omens that's on?
0: I did. Ha- I did I actually watch it? that. I can't remember if I actually read the book, though. And is that a like a is that Terry Pratchett and Neil Gaiman together?
1: Yes, it was a collaboration okay. that the two of them did. As a writer, you're going to freak out when I tell you how they did it. They alternated chapters. Okay. And they had a five and a quarter floppy disk. Maybe we should explain to the younger listeners what a floppy disk. is.
0: <laughs> <laughs> a five and a quarter, at least, right? It's not even a three point five. You're yeah. talking about the old, school like the ones. old like the, big, big, the bigger. ones with the big hole in them, and yeah, yeah, right.
1: They would pull it out they would put it in an envelope and mail it to the other person. Wow. And they never backed it up.
0: Yeah, that's uh, scary. So
1: it, I guess a testament to the you know, UK mail service that we have that piece of I lost
0: <laughs> I lost the USB. I had a Kylo Ren USB that I was using for my book for a long time, and oh, I just no. lost it. Oh. And only by the grace of the gods, I had just emailed myself the book like the day before. So I did not lose anything, but I was just like... That is terrifying. I, I, just, I just went to look for it. I was like, oh my God, it's just gone. Like I just lost this thing. Like I can't believe that happened. But fortunately, I mean, I do send, you know, like I'll send, I'll send my wife like a copy every now and then so she can look at how it's going and stuff. So I, I never would have been in a position to lose the whole thing. I'm on the cloud now. I, I was going to say that that seems yeah, like a natural I mean, thing to do. You know, though, <laughs> I've had problems with the cloud. I've Occasionally things will save where i'm not expecting them to save I, i'm rewriting my first chapter and i completely rewrote it i was off and running i had the voice for it i knew what i was doing and it just saved in the wrong place and i never could find it it was just gone wow so i kind of got kind of got thrown off a little bit because i had trouble going back to it and doing it so it's it's a like a writer's blocky situation where i'm having a lot of trouble rewriting it so i was really mm-hmm. happy to have it going very frustrating but did I tell you? I think I mentioned this to you before, but I had wanted to read something in this series for years because you guys have always talked really? about it. I've, I've yeah. heard about these being good books, so I uh, got online and I bought the book Ring World and I read it. And I uh, was a couple of pages into it before I realized it was not Discworld. world; it was a completely different book. Like, and so you know, I ended up reading it. It's a classic of science fiction, you know. Yes, the classic Larry um, Niven
1: uh, Ring World.
0: Yeah, uh, yeah. The so, Ring World um, is
1: unstable. The Ring World is unstable.
0: Yeah, uh, so I, I I read that whole book uh, just because you know I already had it, so I figured, what the heck? So I know that's why it was so confusing. I didn't buy it physically; I got it on Audible. Oh, so, okay. I just was not paying attention to who the author was when I clicked on it. I was like, wait, this isn't funny at <laughs> this all. Isn't funny at all? This is <laughs> like the opposite <laughs> of funny, you know? Um, yeah,
1: yeah. Niven was one of my favorite authors when I was yeah. young. I was...
0: Oh yeah, yeah. Yeah, he he kind of reminded me of Heinlein. It it seems a little dated, but... uh, Uh,
1: Very much so. I I think I've read everything he's put out, and some are better than others, but... Like like
0: culturally dated, you know, like the gender stuff. Well, I mean, Heinlein, his biggest
1: problem, I think, was when he got too popular, people didn't tell him,
0: his editors didn't cut down the back ends of his books. Sure. Yeah, yeah, I mean... George Martin. (laughs) <laughs> or George Lucas or, you know, yeah. any number of people. But don't you think George Martin, like, don't you think it's actually, I almost thought it was the opposite thing. I feel like he gets pressure to write longer books, like to stretch out the series so that he can sell like seven books instead of, don't you feel like he really wanted to be done in five? Like there's that. The, the,
1: I think originally the plan was to be done in three and it has kind of just grown and grown and grown as he has added more layers onto it.
0: I uh, mean, I thought all of book four, I could have done without. And only halfway through Dance with Dragons do you get back to what you actually wouldn't hear about, which is like the story yes. of the characters he introduced in the first book. Well, that's you because know.
1: those two were supposed to be one book and his publisher basically split them up. And then right. he went back and rewrote a lot of them. And it, it, he had a very different plan on how that was supposed to go uh i don't know that he's i really doubt he's ever going to finish it at this point i don't um, think so i
0: think he's bored with the project doesn't want anything to do with it i think well, he, a, a yeah, lot of the potential readership probably feels that way with the way the show fell on its face he's he's
1: much happier um, being a famous author than
0: yeah you know writing. actually writing which i think is
1: something he said yeah uh, also I notable so. his uh, his assistant when he last published a book was a guy mm-hmm. named ty i believe uh who went on to be one of the co-authors for the entire expanse the last oh, book that's which is right. about to come out so yeah. yeah the entirety of that seven book series the expanse has been published and largely made into a tv show since the last <laughs> game
0: yeah it's, it was a long time ago yeah i think alex was like a less than one year old baby like <sighs> when, when i read that book i mean it's like 10 years ago mm-hmm. when when dance of dragons came out yeah. and it, you know i didn't think the last two books were all that great anyway i thought the first three were amazing I mean, we're getting off into a whole, different, but. Let me just say, if the sixth book ever comes out, we'll read it. We'll do a show on it. I think that'd be a lot of fun. Even I'd love to be honest. obviously obviously can't be <laughs> obviously can't be a classic. So this is something that's bugged me a lot about Canadians and British people is oh, the please. phrase the phrase "Bob's your uncle." I cannot figure out how to use that in a sentence. I hear people say it, and I'm like, and I I thought about it a lot, and I think it I think it translates in American English to either yada 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 or bada bing bada boom. If you yeah think it's kind of it. like next imagine thing, you like know. you know yeah it's like right and then, and then and then and then you know bada bing bada boom like we you know we went out for some beers you know like you'd say and then bob's your uncle you know i, I think it just kind of concludes like, skipping some steps and yeah, skipping the steps getting
1: to the end yeah
0: getting to the end yeah exactly which i have no idea how bob's your uncle got to mean that maybe it's some cockney rhyming slang or something no, but very confusing to me as a kid because as you know bob is my father so so maybe you, you got confused and thought, oh, oh, so reality is being turned on its head, and now my dad is my uncle. I see. So your biggest surprise was anything specific, or just kind of the way the book hit you, having read it again?
1: I, I, I think just revisiting it after such a long time that it was it was that enjoyable. That I, you know, mm. there were there were certain pieces that really stood out to me as being. I'm so familiar with it; it's hard to have a big surprise.
0: Yeah. Yeah, I guess yeah, That's
1: what it boils down to.
0: Our next our next show that we're recording, I think we already mentioned it on the last show. Well, anyway, but the next show I we're doing you did. The next show we're Well, we're doing Fahrenheit 451. That's yeah. that's that's already recorded and just needs to be edited and dropped. Okay. But the next show after that is Raiders of the Lost Ark. And I'm like, mm. what? what is going to surprise me about Ray? I've no, seen it, I mean, fan. literally a hundred times. There's no yeah. way. But anyway, and also there's no way I would ever vote against it. So I don't you know. Uh, yeah.
1: Well, Whose who's pick was it?
0: It was Clint's pick.
1: Oh, so, that's a. You know, I mean, that's a great pick. I imagine it's a, like a great
0: movie.
1: Like mostly movies because reading a book just sucks up a lot more time.
0: Yeah. Well, we do. Uh, it's a rotation. We do book, movie. You can choose anything. Okay. Book, movie, you can choose anything. We just go through. And when there's two people, you end up not getting the same thing over and over again. Did you have any? I think I think it's about time we could say. Do you have any closing arguments uh, in favor of this being a classic? Is there anything, or do you have anything else that you wanted to say something that we didn't get to?
1: Uh, how about some Christopher Lee trivia?
0: <laughs> Christopher Lee trivia. Okay, go for it. <laughs> so
1: he was the voice of death in in right. The Color of Magic, like Fantastic. Okay, but this is actually circling <laughs> back to Lord of the Rings because I just thought of this a while ago. Sure. Um, so in the second Lord of the Rings movie, there's a certain scene where a character gets stabbed in the back, and Peter Jackson tried to come over and give Christopher Lee some oh, direction.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. You yeah, heard yeah. this? Christopher Lee explained to him what it actually sounds like when you stab a man in the back. Peter, I know what it's because he was apparently you know, like a
1: an SAS you know, back in the day in World War Two, some kind of right special operator behind the lines. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, Peter, I know what it sounds like. That's a little scary. Yeah
0: yeah I, I don't think Peter Jackson has a lot of uh, personal firsthand experience with combat I wouldn't I wouldn't imagine ah, not so maybe much. maybe <laughs> combating a combating a cheeseburger every once in a while but so okay I forgot I wanted to I wanted to mention this multiverse so it's a concept in like like high physics right you've got like the concept of like a multiverse but like I'm guessing Marvel and like TSR must have been talking about multiverses before Terry Pratchett right
1: when I Marvel so. first
0: been talking about multiverses? definitely I'm, by this time by 1989
1: 100 i would think so I'm, I'm not a big consumer of of their <laughs> you know comic book products uh, i basically have watched most of the movies not all
0: but i, I have actually I, seen all the movies now i finally watched <laughs> iron man 3 that was my last one that that's I funny because that's percent. the one
1: i've, I've been avoiding because i basically just i don't really like robert downey jr that much so
0: I do, I do, but I don't know if I want to watch a whole movie about Iron Man it doesn't, mm-hmm. I, it's, I like him fine as part of the Avengers He's a great character as part of the Avengers But like, by himself, but it, it was okay I, You know, Iron Man 3 was pretty good, it was better than 2
1: That's about all you can, I think I didn't even watch all of 2 I think I started it and just sort of like, well, no, this is not any good
0: Yeah, I, I took my nephew to see it And then we just saw Shang-Chi So as far as I know, I'm 100% oh. up to date well. I think I've seen them all, except maybe the Hulk But I don't really count that yeah, the oh, yeah, the, the uh, original
1: Marvel movie technically.
0: I guess so. Yeah, right. I mean, I don't know if Spider-Man was ever included. So anyway. I so
1: What do you think, have to say? Blade what do you have
0: to say? Oh, yeah, Blade. Yeah, Blade was a Marvel movie exactly. And then there's like a a cheesy Captain America ripped like from the 80s. I think they made a movie of the but...
1: the Roger Corman Fantastic <laughs> Four that they made and never released. There reached. you go. There you go. Yeah.
0: just <laughs> stuff like that. So
1: Yeah. So in support of the
0: uh Yeah, four the, the or the classic, again The classic hood
1: gosh this is it's a little tough it it, i think clearly it has a place in my heart and i think it has a place in the heart of a lot of people but uh, whether or not it's a a classic is subjective to to who's reading it at the time Uh, you know like i understand clint's opinion on douglas adams it's not one i share it's classic to me it's not a classic to him and that's fine yeah Uh, that's that's kind of how i view
0: it so at the end end of the day i'm just you know he gets the vote What, what can i do yeah you know as
1: as our other friend said you're either toasting the classic or roasting the classic i guess
0: so who said that did you did jay say that yeah oh that's good i don't remember that that's yeah (laughs) to say it's not a classic doesn't mean you're roasting it per se well no but you want the
1: pithy pithy line right? yeah yeah yeah, that's that's just a lighter intro
0: I mean, like, I don't hate Blazing Saddles. I was just kind of like, I, you know, this one just doesn't really work for me.
1: Yeah. And that's 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 a prime example of something that works well in its time, but taken out of that right. context, it, it's hard to understand.
0: So I thought this one worked really well still. I had to get over, I had a little bit in the first 50 pages or so, a little bit of like groaning at the jokes. Like I was a little <laughs> yeah. bit like, you know, this sense of humor, I'm sure was very fresh in the eighties, you know, Um, but it's a little, it's gone, it's gone bad a little bit. Like it's, it's gone spoiled a little bit in the last 30 years, maybe Um, a little past its sell by date, but, but I, but I forced myself to like get back into the swing of things because the, because the story is strong, the characters are strong, you know, they're not phenomenal, but like, I liked the bait and switch where vines became the main character. And that's probably about the point where I got into the book and I started to enjoy it a lot more. And then I was willing to sort of laugh at the humor the humorous situations. you know like like I said, like the whole thing about talking about the million to one shot. I thought that was handled pretty well. I thought that was still pretty funny. I feel like you could skip it being meta if you wanted to, whereas Douglas Adams is like literally metatextual objects and characters are like walking out of the woodwork constantly through it. It's yeah. just in your face. and this one, I think functions as a story a lot better. I, I mean, I would read other Discworld books. Uh, I enjoyed it. I know how influential he is yeah so i mean no they're they're good beach reads and
1: and like i said for anyone else who's looking to get into this sort of thing uh pyramids mort uh those are those are two really really fun ones
0: okay so it's a really so what you're saying is it's a really good beach read for the kind of people who would never be on a beach
1: i don't know i'm going to a (laughs) beach tomorrow oh (laughs) okay all
0: right i mean I, i personally i'm the kind of person that like the last place i would want to read is on a beach like i don't mind going to the beach and swimming but like you know what? Why would I sit outdoors with sand all over me and like burn my skin and stuff while i I got it? my beach read all set up for tomorrow. What so is that? Yeah, is it's... that who's that? Children of Ruin. Who, who's that by?
1: Adrian Tchaikovsky.
0: It's a fun series. <laughs> all right. All right. Sounds good. So uh, I think I'm leaning towards toasting. I think I'm going for it.
1: Excellent. Well, I'm glad you you enjoyed. I that. would I'm...
0: warn I would warn people that this is a fantasy book. It's pretty nerdy. Yeah. But if you and like it's also, that kind it's of also thing, a humor you know? book.
1: And we and can't emphasize right. that enough. If you don't buy into the humor, then you're not gonna enjoy it.
0: So yeah. Yeah. And it took me a little bit. I I did have to sort of suspend my living in 2021 and having been exposed to a great deal more irony than anybody would have in 1989. But once I could do that, I enjoyed it. I didn't. I didn't dislike the book, so it yeah. sort of reminded me of. Did you ever read Snarf Quest?
1: Read Snarf Quest? No. Yeah,
0: the comic Snarf Quest, like the um the, the, the graphic novel.
1: Oh, i I'm, I'm I've heard of it, but no, I haven't read it.
0: Joe Joe had like a graphic novel that he showed me when I was a kid, and I just loved it. <laughs> it was like the the humor of it and like the send the send up of the of the D and uh, world and stuff like that. Uh. I just thought was just hilarious. But anyway, so this is I, I had sort of a similar feeling while reading this, but. I enjoyed it. I think I'm toasting. So you're, you're, you're inclined to toast as well. Still. You're absolutely. You're going back to yeah. It's, right, it's so a classic cheers. for me. Cheers. I don't have anything. Maybe I could find something to make a sound. It was almost like a, <laughs> there we go. There was a little bit of a clink to it. Um. Well, anyway, so thanks for coming on the show. I absolutely. appreciate you taking the time, reading a new book, introducing me to something that, uh, you know, cause I apparently need help to get the book, right. Uh, when I try to read these things. So it's good absolutely. to have a, uh, Good to have a Virgil to guide me through these these things. Um, wow. So, uh, yeah. So thanks a lot for coming on the show. And uh, I'm going to stop the recording now and uh, say goodbye, right. everybody. My
1: best to Clint. Thank you very much.
0: That's it for episode 21 of Toasting the Classics. For those playing along at home, hang on to that four loco for our discussion of Fantastic Four issues 48 through 50. I promise that's what we're doing next time. If you'd like to get in touch, please send us an email at toastingtheclassics at gmail.com. Send us show ideas, comments, complaints, and your pick for the best Discworld novel. Check out my blog at TheAttractiveNuisance.com and follow us on Twitter at nuisance. Our music was written by Michelle MacArthur. See you next time on Toasting the Classics.